joined today by Vladimir Dimintev, who is a software developer from Earth, although he's a part of the Evil Martian squad. He's known in the Ruby and Rails world for his work on AnyCable, TestProf, Action Policy, and other libraries, as well as their framework and the language themselves. Welcome to the show, Vladimir. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to take a part in this. Yeah, good, good, good to have you. Now that we have you here, we're going to ask you um, quite a bit of uh, questions. And I know you contribute a lot to the open source community, but now I'm quite interested in some of your most recent PRs. I know you've done some good work in Rails. One of your most recent works is a feature that restores Action Cable's Redis PubSub listener when, say, the Redis instance is restarted, or maybe if it's stopped for some reason, and then you restart it. Can you tell me about it? So the thing is, for for many years, actually, like seven years, uh, no one cared about Redis connection being dropped uh, for Action Cable. So Action Cable creates a Redis connection to subscribe for updates and to publish updates. And uh, previously, if something went wrong with a Redis instance, like or maybe with a network, so the connection is lost, what we did is we just, okay, we, let's just drop the server, the process, and let it be restarted by some monitoring tool or whatever. So it wasn't big a, pro- a big problem because usually we do not expect Redis connection to be disrupted. It's usually long-lasting, kind of stable, and we can rely on it. And if it fails, it's just a such a rare occasion we don't care about these failures. But what happened pretty recently is that um, with the popularity of some cloud platforms and cloud, uh, like cloud-based Redis's uh, providers, and especially Upstash Redis, I think it's called, the one that's used by Fly.io, they have a very interesting limitation since they focus on smaller applications and they want to optimize for resources like to avoid idle time as much as possible they introduce a timeout for redis connections and it's pretty small it's like maybe five minutes or something like that and that costs action cable applications restart every five minutes just because they lost the redis connection so it's like they had a very strict time to live um condition Yes, exactly. And uh, that's when this problem became a problem, actually, because like we're starting every five minutes, especially for real-time applications when you expect connections to be long-lived, like WebSocket connections. It's not a perfect situation. And there were an issue for a long time in the tracker. Initially, I just commented on some first initial attempt, uh, first pull request to fix this problem and propose the solution, but it got stuck. So for some reason, no one wanted to play with it. Probably not a lot of people actually dealing with action cable internals, not even on the core team. So I just want, yet another time, this issue popped up within, within a discussion with some people from Fly team. And we decided, okay, let's let's finally fix it. And uh, I took some time, prepared a PR. Um, and as a side effect, I also prepared a backport gem so it can be used with any action cable version 
as of right now today, so we don't need to wait for 7.1. But I think that's a good strategy for fixes to Rails, especially such kind of, a, I would say, important for some users that uh, we can, along with the PRs, we can provide some temporary backboard gems for everyone to quickly adopt it to find problems, actually, because uh, the initial PR contained contain one's tiny bag, and it was discovered by a user who used the gem, the backboard, and we fixed it. So the final 7.1 version going to be, well, at least one bug less. I always wanted to ask about any cable. So the question I had earlier that I wanted to know about is, any cable can be a direct replacement for action cable, I, I believe. What would a typical any cable setup look like? And when would I want to swap action cable for any cable? So um, let's start with the second one, probably when. Uh, nowadays, um, it makes sense to swap not only if you have a really high load, but even in the beginning, especially if you use, again, cloud platforms with a limited, with a strict limits on the amount of RAM you can use. And for that, such applications, any cable could be useful from the day one because the memory footprint of the WebSocket server with any cable is such low that you can fit it into the cheapest uh, cloud container, like free cloud container, for example, again, on fly or uh, free Heroku instances, whatever, if they have free, I don't know yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. Uh, so yeah, that could even be useful for us. Not so big, like for thousands of users, maybe that's where it started to be useful. And also recently with the popularity, with the growing popularity of like Hotwire and the modern Rails front-end stack, any cable is even becoming more useful because it um, it allows you to set up the WebSocket infrastructure with just a single additional component, the WebSocket server itself. Unlike traditional action cable applications where you also need an RPC server to kind of connect your WebSockets with the action cable channels. So when you have the Ruby code to manage WebSocket connections, WebSocket clients, you need an, uh, an RPC component of any cable. And that ends up having three components for Rails app, like a web server, an RPC server, and a standalone WebSocket server, which is kind of sim similar to having a Nginx in front of the Rails app, for example, in older installations. But for Hotwire applications, for example, you don't need it. You don't only need a WebSocket server. You just run it once and forget, and it takes care of serving your, say, turbo streams. And that's where Ancable becomes even more uh, useful. Cool. Um, so that's all good. And these are all fine things that already exist, especially when we talk about tooling around real-time um, communication in Rails apps. So we, Rails gives us the default action cable and any cable, as far as I can tell, is also a very good option if someone, if someone wants to swap action cable for um, any cable. I wanted to ask you if you had some of these confusion around the asset pipeline tooling. 
uh, in the past, especially when we were um, using uh, sprockets for assets for the asset pipeline mainly? Did you have problems understanding the tooling around asset pipeline? Uh, well, I think the asset pipeline, as it was uh, since I guess Rails four, was pretty well defined and well described, and, and especially in the documentation part. The confusion started with the first, it started with the addition of Webpacker. I know that's like, what should I do now? Should I use them both or not? Because originally it was recommended to use both for different kinds of assets. That was confusing. And the next round of confusion, I guess, uh, started with Rails 7 when we got many different ways of dealing with assets. And uh, yeah, and the documentation, the guides, we're not we're not catching up with the changes uh but for me personally i kind of solved the rails assets problem by using bit vtruby built on top of vjs and it just it just makes me it, it's not an official right it's not an official solution but it works and works perfectly it's it's kind of a familiar tooling for front-end developers compared to what we have for Rails. And it's it's like, I would say, for me, like WeTruby is like the thing that Webpacker used should have been uh, like that. Easy, working, no, a lot of boilerplate or whatever. And uh, my default uh, asset pipeline, I would say, is Vite today. But for smaller projects, I use uh, regional like import maps, for example. It's also cool for kind of a proof of concept style projects when you need something quicker. Okay. Well, there's there's some good news um, coming up in Rails. There has been a rewrite of the assets pipeline guide, specifically to match what we have with Rails seven. Um, the asset pipeline guides that we already have now currently worked well with. Rails 4. It wasn't really comprehensive if you had um, Rails 5 or Rails 6. There's going to, there is actually the, the rewrite of the asset pipeline guide and it talks a lot about import map Rails whose existence I think um, can be due to the fact that we have HTTP2 right now and then also we have ES modules. So for instance, with using HTTP2, we don't have to pay this material penalty. I think the guide covers the import map rails well, and it talks a bit about uh, how to pin and how to unpin packages, NPM packages from CDNs or from wherever you have all your, your packages. It also mentions and describes the cacophony of alternate libraries that I believe have been the cause of confusion around the asset pipeline tooling. And this is a good time to visit the Asset Pipeline Guide. Um, let's move on to the next item, with I, which I think you'll talk about, and it's about the addition of uh, support for common table expressions. Yeah, that's still kind of in progress. It hasn't been merged yet. Oh, it's it's not been merged yet. It, it's still pending reviews. Uh, it's kind of hard to get reviews, especially on new features in active record because there are a lot of them and i think not so many and this feature i believe is about adding support for joins with common table expressions yeah that's kind of continuation of the original work on 
common table expressions, um, which adds basic uh, with method support to active record, so to build common table expressions uh, from active record relations and use them in uh, queries. Uh, it, it has been already merged. It's kind of a the first step towards common table expression support for active record because we haven't had it never. We never had a support for, active, for CDS and active record. We had support in Arial, so a relational al algebra jam that powers uh, active record. Uh, it had support for some CDE statements for many years, but they never been exposed to the higher level active record API. And now we got the first step. So we have the with statement, we can build uh, it with active record. And actually was just playing with this new feature and tried to use it for one of my use cases. I, I kind of use CDAs uh, a lot. I like this feature. It helps to write cleaner queries, I would say, and sometimes more powerful than, for example, using nested selects or whatever. So I tried to use it with uh, the way I often use common table expressions and they build this. So what is a common table expression, first of all? It's kind of a virtual relation, virtual table that you build right as the part of your query. So you define some kind of a subquery as a separate named alias table, and you can further use it as a regular table with subsequent queries. So for example, I can build a query, a common table expression fetching, uh, say users with the name Emmanuel, and call it like Emmanuel users with Emmanuel users as something. And then I can select say posts uh, joined by this users already filtered and and make it work like a like a more complex join expression or join with where or whatever. Of course, the common type expression could be any uh, query. So it's usually it's more complex than just filtering uh, records. And um, I started playing with it and I realized that it would be nice to have the opportunity to reference the common table expression, which you define using the with statement. Uh, so you define it as a, you, you pass a hash to the with statement. The, the key is the name of the common table expression and the values of active record relation that's used to generate it. So for me, it's natural to make it possible to use this key, the name of the CD, uh, similarly to how we use, say, associations in joints or uh, maybe some other active record methods. So I want to use past joins, uh, manual users, where something, and then continue building my query. But I found that it's not possible right now. There were some discussion on extending CD support and active record, and this was one of the directions in which we can extend it. And I took a look at the code and found the place where we can inject this logic into query compilation. So the act active record kind of a compiles your query definition, your relation into an abstract syntax tree uh, provided by ARL, which is then used to generate the final SQL um, string. And we can just interact with this process and add some custom logic. That's what I did on this PR. It's pretty small, but add this feature that helps to just to make code more readable when used in CDAs. So I hope it's going to be eventually merged and I would be able to use it in my project. Talking about 
commentable expressions and the work around active record. In the last month or so, Rails has been doing a ton of work around um, composite primary keys. And what they are doing is they are preparing Rails to fully support composite primary keys. Uh, I think two of the most important highlights are the fact that there is an introduction of a new query by tuple syntax where you could find a set of records given their composite primary keys. And then there's, there's also uh, support for deleting records from associations for composite primary keys among several other CPK features on Rails main. So I think Rails is way past its maturity period and the addition of all of these features into the database will make the lives of Ruby developers easier. You're listening to, listening to the Rails Change Log. Let's talk about this interesting PR that adds a new number to human size helper method to active support number helper. How do you pronounce it? Zettabyte. I, I actually I don't know how to correctly pronounce it in English. That's that's not the number you hear every day. Yeah, it's it's really very rare. <laughs> like zettabyte. I would say like it's using its origin, its Greek origin, so it's gonna be zettabyte. I'm not sure, but probably. I should have checked, <laughs> but yeah, I just uh, caught it. It just got my attention because it's kind of funny PR because it mentions that, okay, we are now in the tetabyte era, so we need to add this helper because there's so much data like in the world that probably we will need to mention such big numbers in our Rails application. I wonder if there is a real use case, there's going to be a real use case for this new helper method. One zettabyte is equal to one trillion gigabytes. That's a lot of data. <laughs> yeah, but you know, today when we have this large language models carrying tons of data, they probably already using these numbers. The next unit after a zettabyte um, is these names sound very funny. The next unit after a zettabyte is a yottabyte. <laughs> yottabyte. <laughs> okay. This uh, contribution that you've made to Ruby, that's about uh, match data. It's about a, it's it's a contribution on the named captures method on match data. Can you tell me about it? Yeah. So that's actually a side effect again of the my previous contribution to Ruby, which was adding uh, pattern matching support for match data. So the construct and the construct keys methods were added to match data in Ruby 3.2. And that allows you to use uh, the result of your regex match uh, call in Ruby pattern matching very in a very elegant way, I would say. Uh, and that required to change the way name captures work internally. Because pattern matching expects uh, symbols as keys if we want to make to perform a hash pattern match. And for that, I just uh, added the implementation internally in the C Ruby code to make it possible to convert uh, named captures keys to symbols. But we haven't exposed this functionality to the named captures method itself. So there were no Ruby API to toggle this behavior. Uh, in the initial implementation, because kind of that was not related to the original uh, feature. 
So I I would be I can I is it safe to say that the motivation for uh, the, for symbolizing names inside named captures is because of the pattern matching feature that we have in Ruby. Yeah. Yes. So it's already used by pattern matching in the deconstruct keys. So you can kind of use this feature by calling a different method, which kind of behaves similarly, but that's, that's not fair. So like you, you should never call deconstruct keys explicitly. It's something that and that's the API for pattern matching, but name captures has been here for a round. And uh, I, I realized that just adding the symbolized names to name captures is useful on its own, even without better matching. Another use case I have in mind is that uh, you do some reg apps matching and you extract name captures and you want to path them as, for example, keyword arguments to some method. And that's where symbolized names is also becomes useful because you can just get the hash with symbolic case um, probably slice part of it and pass directly to the method which expects uh, keyword arguments without manually converting strings to keys and all that stuff and even thinking about it. So that's just kind of an extension of the existing patterns we have in Ruby, actually. Not a big deal, but just like the primary motivation was that we have this already implemented uh, for another method. Let's just expose it to users because it's it definitely it definitely d doesn't hurt to have this new API. Before I forget, um, tell me about action policy. Yeah, that's actually a fun thing. Speaking of action policy, you also mentioned on Twitter that uh, you was at RailsConf once and it was in Pittsburgh and that's was also my first RailsConf and that's where I introduced action policy kind of to the world. But that's when I came up with the name. The name was specifically made up for RailsConf. That's why it's kind of a Railsy action policy. The original ideas were very different. But yeah, so what is action policy? It's an authorization framework. It's uh, usually compared to Pandit. It's not a coincidence because action policy kind of is a result of my work with Pandit for a few years on many projects. And um, while working with Pandit, I like the idea of having the kind of abstraction layer for authorization made with, up from policy objects. And I think it's pretty clear. It could be sometimes uh, bloaty part of your application if you have a lot of policies, but at least it helps you to separate this authorization logic from everything else and uh, keep it organized. But Apart from that, uh, Planted actually didn't provide a lot of stuff out of the box, just a couple of helpers and the idea of using policies, kind of a bit of naming convention, and that's it. And in real life, we found, especially at larger projects, that we need more, add to a lot of customizations to it to make it efficient, to make it kind of controllable. So it all started with just uh, extending, building on top of Planted uh, a lot of stuff like caching support, instrumentation, uh, testing utilities and so on. And eventually I extracted everything into a single place and decided to build it kind of properly from scratch because adding all this functionality and flexibility required to have a kind of different architecture compared to what Pandit has. Actually to have some kind of architecture, some kind of internal pluggable system of adding new features. And that's how Action Policy was born. And um, I started using it a lot in everyday projects. At the peak popularity of GraphQL in the Ruby world, we even 
released the Action Policy GraphQL gem, which plays very nice with this kind of API building. And um, yeah, it could be seen as a bandit on kind of like a term like on steroids. Like you can you, you can see it very similar in, as an interface, but with a lot of problems solved out of the box, especially for larger code bases. I would say. What are you most excited about Rails seven point one so far? Probably already mentioned actually Rails additions like composite primary keys, but frankly speaking, never used them in production, so I'm not excited. Kind of, but I, I'm glad that it's it's going to be available if I will need it. Uh, so common table expressions, yes, for sure, that's some small thing. The whole bunch of stuff around uh, an official Docker files, production Docker files. So that's going to be out of the box supported by Rails application. I think that's a good direction. Um, we can talk a lot about the kind of a, the configuration, docking configuration provided from out of the box and why it doesn't fit all the use cases, blah, blah, blah. So that's a large topic. But the, the fact that now was when you create Rails new, you have a, something that you can quickly ship as a Docker image to pretty much anywhere. That's really great. That simplifies at least the kind of a learning curve for new developers from like nothing to an application running somewhere in the cloud or in this metal, bare metal server. That's, that's great. And another minor feature I'd like to mention, which I think is cool, uh, is the strict local support for templates. So that's an ability to declare which locals does your partial or your HTML template accept, accepts, and even with default values. That could help to kind of uh, make dealing with the HTML layer in a more predictable way to prevent some bugs probably of passing, passing uh, unknown locals and so on. So that's, that's, that's a good addition. Um, and another one I found recently, I haven't heard about it, but it's also in the cold direction. It's active job perform all later. So that's the ability to bulk and queue background jobs with active job. It's something that we had with Sidekick with push bulk, I guess, method, if you use Sidekick directly. Uh, but I don't remember we had something similar for active job. And now there is an official API, which is uh, also nice to have uh, in Rails out of the box. Evidently, Rails 7.1 is packed with features, and I cannot wait for its release. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Rails Changelog. Thanks for coming on the show, Vladimir. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.